if you if you have questions, I'm gonna, rather than just field them that night, I would prefer that you email them uh, in advance. So let me give you if you if you have any questions or you think you might have some questions uh, concerning the material uh, we've been discussing for several weeks. We're going to continue through the end of uh, October. Just email the questions to me um, at uh, send it to uh, go now. G-O-N-O-W, go now, at windstream, W-I-N-D-S-T-R-E-A-M, go now at windstream.net, not .com, but .net. And, uh, and, and the questions should pertain to the material we've been covering don't ask about the mark of the beast and what that might be. <laughs> um, there is a, a study guide that I wrote. Uh, it's a small booklet. It's really a small group study guide. I wrote in 2009 called Partners in Grace. And a few of you have read that here and you found it uh, encouraging, very helpful. Um, and, and I think uh, Jackie printed it out, and it's been cycling about. But it's a free ebook. You can simply download for free, and if you wanted to print it out, you could. Um, but um, we're going to cover some topics tonight, and I'm just going to encourage you to to go to that website, download that ebook, and explore some of uh, these concepts, perhaps uh, a little more in depth and at your leisure. Uh, the the website again is partners in grace.com and you'll see a banner there uh, download ebook for free and just click on that and then that will download and there's a virus that will download with it that will attach itself to your credit cards and bank account and <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, there's an ebook there though that you'll you'll um, you'll find it and you may find it very helpful um, Let's go ahead uh, this evening and open up to Mark the fourth chapter. Oh, and let's pray for, let's continue to keep Jackie and Bruce in our prayers. They are uh, resting right now. They've taken a little break for two weeks. They desperately needed a, a brief um, retreat, and uh, so let's continue to lift him up in our prayers as well. Father, thank you for um, <clears throat> this opportunity to join together to hear your word, and we are confident and rejoice in the knowledge that you've joined here with us tonight, that you're present with us, and that your spirit is here to teach us to guide us into all truth and understanding. And I pray that we experience that ministry tonight. That we hear things that uh, encourage and inspire us, but beyond hearing, Lord, that we might experience you. That we would have an encounter with you through the personal work of your Holy Spirit tonight in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark, the fourth chapter.
Jesus has, has uh, spoken a parable to the crowds that were gathered, and then privately he has provided an explanation to the disciples, beginning with verse 13. Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, I, I want to suggest again that it is my opinion that these categories of heart, which Jesus is describing, can in fact exist simultaneously. They may coexist in our hearts. There may be um, areas in which you and I are very receptive to God's word that we yield easily to the truth that we're reading. That the Holy Spirit does not encounter resistance uh, as He begins to reveal to us uh, what, what is written. But there may be other areas in which we are very resistant. And, and, I, and I explained last week that it, it may be a consequence of what both Jesus and Paul referred to as either the traditions of men or the doctrines of men. Now Paul explained that there are the doctrines of God, there are the doctrines of men, and then there are doctrines of demons. Now, the traditions of men are simply those ideas uh, which have essentially been canonized, and we've, we've embraced them as gospel. We have been schooled in them for so long that they have help to fashion our perspective. And as we read through the Word of God, the conclusions we reach are shaped in part by those traditions or the doctrines of men. Well-meaning ideas, but ideas which may in fact conflict with the whole counsel of God's Word. And, and it's important, of course, that we read as we read through Scripture, as we're studying Scripture, we want to be mindful of context, don't we? The immediate context within which a verse is contained, but then the context of the entire counsel of God's Word. And uh, there is this extraordinary and beautiful harmony that exists throughout the whole of God's Word. And the traditions of men, the doctrines of men, will create conflicts. but we may have been so schooled in them that when we hear God's Word, we instantly begin to bend it to conform to these traditions or these doctrines that are essentially ingrained in us. And so it is possible for you and I to receive the Word of God to bring forth fruit in certain arenas and in others 
perhaps rejected entirely. Now, as I gave two examples last week or the week before, the gifts of the Spirit. Let's see. Well, nearly 60 years ago, my goodness. Uh, well, in fact, a little more than 60 years ago, the charismatic movement burst onto the scene. And then in 1960, it really gathered steam. I think Time Magazine uh, wrote uh, an article, and at that time, Time Magazine was uh, one of the primary organs uh, in, in the nation for you know, conveying big stories and big news items. Uh, and it had a story on uh, Father Dennis Bennett and the eruption that had occurred at the Episcopal Church that he was a rector of in, I think, Van Nuys, California. And it was regarding the gifts of the Spirit and especially uh, the gift of tongues. And the charismatic movement just swept the church in North America and around the world. It was extraordinary. Um, I be, uh, became aware of it probably in the mid to late 70s and was able to enjoy participating in it for a number of years before it began to wane in the, in the late 80s. Um, and the charismatic movement is still with us, but uh, it's a very different movement now. I, I think that God is, is about to revisit His church and we're going to experience yet another outpouring of His Holy Spirit and a spiritual awakening which our world desperately needs. Um, um, and the church is in need of a fresh outpouring and, and a sweeping renewal. And I think we are on the cusp of that, but uh, there was resistance to that initially, um, particularly among the mainline historic churches. And it was tradition and the doctrines of men which uh, were manning the barricades against uh, this holy biblical concept and truth. And eventually, um, uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit began to, to uh, change minds and turn hearts, and, and it was an extraordinary movement. But even today, you may encounter people who are they view the gifts of the Spirit with some suspicion. Or healing. The notion that God still heals today. I mean, there's a whole school of thought. I think it's cessationists who are fairly comfortable in stating that the, the age of miracles passed with the early church. I I don't believe that, and I don't believe that uh, not because of anecdotal evidence, not because of my own experience, because of what I read in God's Word. Uh, and yet there are those who are well-meaning Christians and who may be very fruitful and loving Christians. But in this area, there is resistance to truth. So my, my point is that uh, as we read through this, understand that if, if you suddenly realize... I think that condition may exist in my life. Don't panic. It, it, may, it may exist. But as our perspectives are, are um, reshaped by the Word of God, 
real change can happen in those arenas of our heart, can't they? And, and that's really uh, a critical for all of us to approach the Word of God with that level of humility. Repentance is something that we often think of uh, as a dynamic that unfolds within the life of a man or a woman who is just coming to Christ and they repent of their sins. But repentance ought to be a, a, a deeply ingrained part of our daily lives. Repentance is simply to look, literally it means to look at things differently. It's a turning away, but it means literally to look at things differently. You'll recall last week, we talked about outcomes, how we are all quite interested in outcomes. How are things going to turn out? I want to know how things are going to turn out at the end of my week, the end of the month, the end of the year. Uh, we're, we're preoccupied with how are things going to turn out in my life. But then there are those more immediate events in which a, a crisis has emerged, and we're very concerned about outcomes uh, relative to those uh, events. Those outcomes are influenced by actions. Our actions are an effect of our choices. Those choices are an effect of the conclusions we reach. Conclusions about what? Whatever information we've received. The situation at hand. The way in which we view a situation will create a certain set of conclusions. And the choices we make um, are an effect of those conclusions. So we, we considered the idea that really what, what controls outcomes is not actions, it's actually perspectives, the way we're looking at things. Now when you consider Jesus' command, and he preached this for three years, his message essentially was repent because or for what? Remember, this was his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's near. He was saying, I want you to begin to look at things differently. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven, the rule and authority and reign of God is now at hand. And Jesus demonstrated that by working miracles. Miracles were an effect of the kingdom of God the rule, when we think of the kingdom, don't think of a, a, a celestial city. It's the, it's the jurisdiction of God. It's his authority and rule. And it was suddenly invading the earth. Now, Paul, in writing about the cosmos, this world system, he said Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I think, is the God of this world, of this cosmos, of this world system. That's why there's mayhem and chaos here. Well, the kingdom of God was suddenly invading that chaotic place. And he was bringing order. He was delivering the demoniacs. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He mastered the elements. The wind and the seas obeyed him. He multiplied fish and loaves. The kingdom of heaven had suddenly drawn near to man. It was now accessible. Men and women could uh, receive uh, from that kingdom the power and provision of God and order 
could be restored to their lives. So Jesus, and it was contingent on one thing, repent. Look at things differently. Isn't that really what Jesus was urging people to do when they came to him? He said, over and over again, can you believe? Do you have faith? That was the criterion. Do you have faith? Can you believe? Will you believe? He countered fear and encouraged faith. He was saying, I need you to look at this situation differently. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about uh, the centurion, uh, Jairus, whose daughter was at home sick. Jesus raced to find Jesus. Meanwhile, his daughter died. They arrived at the home and Jesus said, your daughter's, or, or, why are you weeping? The girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. A messenger had come to report this, though, uh, and, to Jairus, and Jesus heard it as they were journeying toward his home. And, of course, you can imagine the, the horror that Jairus experienced when he, he learned that his daughter had died. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Continue to believe. He was saying, I need you to look at this situation differently. Don't view it as you might have before my entrance in, into this matter. I'm asking you to look at it differently right now. Despite what you've learned, despite this horrific news, don't be frightened. Continue to believe. So repentance needs to be a part of our daily lives. Humble repentance. When we see something in the Word of God, even though it might seem absurd, even though the world around us might suggest it's madness to believe such a thing, God is requiring of us the humility that yields repentance. I'm, I'm willing to start looking at things differently. I'm willing to allow the Word of God to become the prism, P-R-I-S-M, through which I view myself, life, and others. They heard the word, those that fell by the wayside and those which fell on this stony ground. They both heard the word, but it, recall it, it was uh, the verb that is used there is past tense and it suggests a simple final act. They heard it and that was it. In the final um, category of heart that, that yields fruit, it is a present tense verb. It means they hear it and hear it and hear it. It's a process that persists over time. It's very much like uh, Jesus explained to, in John 8.31, continue in my word, then you're taught of me. So the, the challenge here is you have someone who doesn't appreciate the value of what they've heard. They hear it once. Hey, that's cool says they immediately receive it with gladness. They're excited about it. They're enthused over the promise that it holds. But when persecution comes, when challenge comes for the sake of the word, they are encountering this as a consequence of having heard and received the word. Immediately they are offended. Why does this happen? 
I don't, I don't want to be that person, do you? And if there are arenas in which that may unfold, yet unfold in my life, I want to make sure that I'm able to identify the causes of that and apply the remedy. Let's look at Luke, the 8th chapter. This is the same parable, cast in a slightly different light. Luke chapter 8. Verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So there is an honest and a good heart. What is this suggesting? This goes to motive, to intent. Now, remember that, partners in grace. I'm going to ask you to take a look at that this week because I, it's already 8.24, so I'm going to have to move quickly here. But <clears throat> we're going to take a look at a few verses of Scripture that discuss motive and intent. Let's go to John, the 14th chapter. Verse 15. And we're going to read this together aloud. John 14. Verse 15. John 14, verse 15. Let's read it aloud. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's say it aloud together again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs> If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. It is possible to approach Christianity, the Word of God, as religion. And the, and the Bible as a book which communicates to us a code of conduct. And that to be a good Christian is to abide by that code of conduct. To, uh, to um, uh, embrace this philosophy and fashion our lives according to it. That is not Christianity. But it has often been reduced to that. Now we're going to continue looking at this, but, but I want you to... In fact, I'm going to open the floor right now. And I'm going to ask you to speak up. When you read that verse, if you love me, keep my commandments, what are the, what are the thoughts that, that surface suddenly? Conviction? Why? Then you must not love him. That's not true, but that might be the conclusion that we would mistakenly reach. What, what are some other ideas? Is it slightly frightening to you? Are you intimidated by that verse of Scripture? Well, do I always keep His commandments? Is this suggesting that my love is somehow flawed or that I'm flawed? And by the way, who says, if you love me, keep my commandments? That would be a terrible way for a husband 
to explain to his wife what fealty looks like. Listen, baby. If you want to really love me, do what I say. Everything. And this will be a lovely, peaceful home. That would be dictatorial, wouldn't it? I mean, you would think, oh, oh my gosh, I've married a tyrant. Or vice versa, if a wife said that to a husband. But it's okay for God to say it. It's okay for God to say it. Why? He may be a dictator, but he's a benevolent dictator. It's for our good. What, what is sin? Sin is, are those behaviors which are ultimately harmful for us. God has called sin those things which are destructive and damning that are harmful. That's what sin is. So if he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, it is suggesting that uh, true love is going to reveal itself in loving obedience, but it will have acknowledged these commandments are for my good. I trust in him wholly. You know, when a man or a woman, uh, they, they fall in love, they want to know everything about each other. Tell me, tell me everything. Tell me everything. What, tell me what kind of a child you were. And it's almost as if in our imaginations, we're racing back through their yesterdays to experience with them moments in their lives. We want to know them. We want to experience them in those moments, if only in our imagination. We want to learn about them. And you want to be with them all the time. All the time. I, I, when, when Beth and I were dating, I, I slept so little. <laughs> um, I, just, I just wanted to be with her. And fortunately, I, she uh, seemed to want to be with me, or she was just being incredibly patient. Um, but that's the nature of love, isn't it? You just want to be with that person. You want to know everything about them, and you want to please them. You want to make them happy. It's your pleasure and delight to do that. That's really what's, what's uh, being suggested here. If we love Him, we want to do these things. Someone said here several weeks ago, they communicated through Jackie, I've always wanted to love Jesus like I'm hearing about, but I never have. Now, I've encountered that lots and lots as a pastor over several decades. How do I love Him more? How do I want to? to love him more let's uh let's look please at um well we'll take a, a, a look at a couple of verses before we head over to the book of psalms let's look at um colossians the first chapter remember now keep bear in mind please this is in relation to Uh, the parable of the sower. Colossians 1, we'll begin with verse um, 9. 
For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. That is the yearning of our heart. We want to please Him in all respects. It, it, is, it is in our DNA as believers, as Christians, when we received Christ as Lord and Savior. At that instant, we were translated from the kingdom of darkness, moved into the kingdom of His dear Son. We became new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. And that was released in you. You have a yearning to please Him in all things. 2 Corinthians 5.9, just write it down. It says our goal is to please Him. That is our aim. It is to please Him. And yet there are times, if we're honest, when that does not seem to be the driving motivation of our life. Our decisions can at times be far more mercenary, far more self-centered than that. Why? How do we remedy that? Uh, let's turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. This is a, a, a beautiful uh, a verse of Scripture, and in fact, it's a chorus we've often sung. Psalm 42, beginning with verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That is a motivation that is embedded in our spirit as believers. It is a motivation. It, it may seem remote at times, but I can assure you, it is present in you. Psalm uh, 34, back just a few pages, Psalm 34. How many of you have um, failed to please the Lord from time to time? Failed to walk worthy? Yeah. I want to remind you before we continue, Jesus remarked on a Pharisee who was praying, and He said the Pharisee prayed, Lord, I thank Thee that I am not like other men. And He began to extol His own virtues. 
as if that is what granted him an audience with God and provided the basis for God uh, to answer his prayers. And then Jesus pointed to a publican. And he said, and the publican cried out, afraid even to look up at God, or not afraid, but, but um, reluctant even to look up at God, beating, beating his breast and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man whose prayer was heard. That's the man who enjoyed an audience with God. He was a humble man. His works did not grant him an audience with God, but his humility and his yearning for mercy. Psalm 34, uh, beginning with verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Let's read this next verse aloud together. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That is what is absent in these um, instances in which the word of God is sown and is either plucked up or swiftly withers away. They heard the word and abandoned it because they, they heard the word absent an encounter with Jesus. You cannot encounter Jesus and remain the same. If you taste, you will see that the Lord is good. I went through my teen years, through high school, and then, and then later in life as a young adult, I faced all the same temptations that others were facing. There was, there, was, uh, there was not an enormous challenge not to get caught up in these sins. Now mind you, my grandparents uh, attended church regularly. My mother grew up in a home in which she was at church Sundays and Wednesdays, every, and, and sometimes throughout the week for special services. My father, different story. He was not raised in such a home and did not really come to Christ until, uh, I, I guess, in his uh, 50s. And so I did not, uh, while I was exposed uh, to the Word of God, uh, primarily through my grandparents' efforts, in my own home, that was not the case. In fact, my dad, just to be perfectly frank, would have loved for me to drink. I remember him take, he, having me hold a beer once so that he could take a photograph. It changed later. Um, but there were a whole range of things that I was tempted or, or, or encountered, a whole range of behaviors and, and temptations. Why didn't I succumb to them? It's not because I'm noble. It's not because I'm such a godly man. It wasn't because I was such a good young man. 
because of the unique circumstances I was raised in, there were challenges. I was more or less pressed in to God, and I came to know Him. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus as a child. That love relationship just continued to blossom and grow as I entered my teen years. So when I started to encounter these opportunities to get into trouble, these tests, these temptations, why wasn't it an issue for me? I was totally in love with Jesus. It didn't look grand, first of all. But why, why go for bologna when you can have prime rib? It just didn't look that grand. But the other issue was Jesus was alive in me. I had encountered Him. That made all the difference in the world. There was no difference between me and the next fellow save that I had had an encounter with Jesus. His word was more than ideas. It was life. Jesus leapt out of those pages into the now and was a living reality to me. And I loved Him so. Uh, Galatians, Paul says simply, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now we've inverted that. If you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you can walk in the Spirit. Paul said, no, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're living in a place of communion with Him, sin really doesn't stand much of a chance. <laughs> but what is lacking so often is encounter with Jesus. And, and this means our approach to the Word of God. We must take great care with regard to our approach to the Word of God. What do you mean, Larry? That sounds a little cryptic. Turn with me to John uh, uh, chapter 5. And, and we're, we're getting ready to close. I did not get anywhere near as far as I thought we would tonight. But uh, John uh, chapter 5. We must approach the Word of God carefully. Jesus says something rather startling here. He's addressing the Pharisees. And he says, beginning in verse 37 of uh, John chapter 5, And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice. They heard his voice. They heard his word. They did not hear his voice. We'll talk about that next week. At any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. Say that aloud. I want you to get this. You do not have his word abiding in you. Now these are people who studied the word of God as a way of life. They were deeply invested in the word of God. And yet he said, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him who he sent you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Did you hear that? You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. We have eternal life in Him. Jesus is not just an idea. 
Christianity is not um, a philosophy with a code of conduct attached to it. Christianity is a living relationship with a living God through the person of Jesus Christ who has come to us in the person of His Holy Spirit. He is present with us now. And Christianity is receiving Him. It's not embracing an idea about Him. Listen to what Jesus said. These were people that studied the Word of God as a way of life. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. You do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe Him whom He sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You say, Larry, I'm confused now because you said we should read the Word. We should expose ourselves to it constantly. Yes, you should. But with the purpose of encountering Him, you approach it with humility. Paul said simply, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. And I have met Christians and I've met ministers who have essentially deified the Word of God. They have idolized the Word. It has become for them God. And they jealously protect their doctrines. But they have not had an encounter with Him. Their lives do not reflect the love and grace and mercy of God. In place of humility, there's an arrogance. There's a mean-spiritedness. That is not Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity. I don't want to make that mistake. I'm not asking you to expose yourself regularly to the Word of God so that you can know more. I'm urging you to expose yourself to the Word of God. Feed on it richly. Let it dwell in your heart richly so that you might encounter Him through it. so that He will leap out of its pages into your life and experience. And you, you actually have an experience with Jesus. In fact, uh, the verse we've quoted so frequently, continue in my word, and you will know the truth. That, that's a transliteration of the Hebrew word. The same word in, in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife Eve. They, they became intimate and... and, and uh, had a child. That is the same word in the Greek. It came to them through the Septuagint. I won't take time to walk through that now, but it's the same notion. It's an, it's an experience with truth. It's an experience and an encounter with Jesus Himself, and it yields life, transformative life in us. And with it, it, it brings faith. Okay, here's, here's homework for this coming week. Go to Matthew, the fifth chapter, please, and this is where we will close. I hope that this was help, helpful to you. Um, it's really, this is, uh, there is part two of this next week because this really simply laid the foundation for going there. But um, this is a, I think this is such an important idea 
It helps us to view the Word of God, I think, in a more complete and healthy way. And we don't see it as an end in itself, but a means to an end. Matthew 5, uh, we know this as the Beatitudes. It suggests, I think, a, a, a gradual that we march along to, through to encounter. Um, Matthew 5, verse 1, or excuse me, let's just skip over to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a gradual here. This is the path we take to encounter and transformation. We'll explore that next week. But if you, if like me, you're saying yes, I want to approach God's Word humbly. With the Apostle Paul, I want to say, hey, if you think you know anything, you've demonstrated you know nothing at all. I want to approach God's Word with such humility that He's able to speak to me through it in a fashion that bypasses my ignorance, my bias, my prejudice, and can communicate truth to me without the interference of these things that tend to bend it to my will or to my preconceived notions. We'll explore this at, at length next week. And, and I think it provides some really helpful and important keys um, to allow that to happen in our lives as we study the Word of God. Um, we'll go ahead and pray. Just bear, would you do me a favor and read through that list this week? Um, Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, and consider this as you read through it. Um, humility guards every significant passage in the Christian journey. If we want to grow, in grace, if we want to grow in Him, if we want to grow in our love relationship with Jesus, then we must bear in mind that humility guards every significant pa passage in the Christian journey. It is integral to a growth in grace, to growth in our love relationship with Jesus. Father, thank You for Your love for us. I pray for uh, the men and women gathered here tonight. that they would, that we would encounter You. And that in that encounter, Lord, ideas which hinder, traditions that have created obstacles for You, 
for your work in our lives, that they would yield and surrender, Lord. As we encounter you. And answer the yearning of our hearts, Lord, to know you, to know you better, to know you more intimately, to joy in you more fully. And we, we do pray, Lord, that our hunger for your word increases. And with it, Lord, a more perfect humility so that our trust is, is not in ourselves. It's not in our, in our intellect, in our wit, Lord. It is in you and the work of your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen.